You know, literally for centuries, people have been waiting for the long-awaited Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. And Paul's sitting in prison writing this Christmas card to a group of people living in Galatia. And this little letter that we have in the Bible, he says, I'm surprised, guys, that you're turning away from the main message of the Bible, which is that we've been waiting all these centuries for God's generosity to be poured out on us, and now you're turning away to something else. Here's how he says it in Galatia. I marvel, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of God, the grace of Christ, to a different gospel. Now, what do we mean a different gospel? Well, it's not like they're becoming Hindus or becoming Muslims. It's, that's not what he means. The word good news uh, or grace means the good news, the gospel. And he says, I, I brought you the good news that God poured out his grace, his forgiveness, his joy when you didn't deserve it. But you've turned back to something new. And it's not a totally different religion, though he says different. It's more subtle than that. Instead of receiving God's gift as a gift, you've turned it into something you deserve. It's no longer good news about God's generosity to you. It's now a payment of what God owes you. I think I do that. Maybe you do that. In fact, many people never come to understand the main message of the Bible because they're caught up in this different gospel, this different good news of I get what I deserve. You see, the greatest obstacle to you receiving God's generosity is thinking you deserve God's generosity. The greatest obstacle to receiving God's generosity is thinking you deserve God's generosity. Like what? Well, think about how often you've seen that in your own life. Think about it with your kids, right? With your kids, you, you bought this gift for them and you're so excited to see the joy when you give it what they don't deserve, right? If you really had a list and you checked it twice about how naughty and nice, your kids have done plenty wrong. Your grandkids have done plenty wrong this year. But you're giving it to them because you love them, not because they deserve it. And you hand them this gift and occasionally, depending what season of life our kids are going through, you'll get that entitled attitude. Well, thanks. Is that all? Is that all the gifts I'm getting? You didn't get the bigger one? And what happens? Just the, the life gets sucked out of the room because of that entitlement, I deserve it. It takes away their joy and it takes away yours too. Think about a Christmas bonus, right? What's a Christmas bonus? It's a bonus. It's on top of what you were expecting, uh, a lavish gift. But what happens when employees expect it? it just kind of takes the joy out of it when they feel like they're deserving or entitled to it. Think about it with an employee or with a friend when they have magnified their contributions to a project and they think they deserve more than they really do, then when you give them not just what they deserve, they feel angry, they feel ticked off, they feel cheated because they deserve more. But you know, as the parent, as the boss, as a supervisor, they've magnified what they did right and they've minimized what they did wrong. And that has distorted their ability to receive grace, generosity, or a second chance. That's why Paul is addressing this in related to Christmas. Christmas is about God's generosity to us. 
But the greatest obstacle to receiving God's generosity is thinking we deserve it. And I don't want you to miss out on God's very best because you feel entitled to whatever he's going to give to you. So let's explore that together in the book of Galatians. Three points we're going to get together. What does it mean for us to get rid of these childish, deserving attitudes that we have? That's what Paul's going to talk about. How do we replace childish demands with childlike faith? Now, what's a childish demand? Well, you know it, right? You did it when you were a kid. Your kids do it. And I got to admit, even at 47 years old, I find myself still sometimes using childish demands of my spouse, of my family, and certainly of God. What do I mean? It's when we pout. I can't believe life God would make me go through this. I can't believe she doesn't appreciate me the way I deserve. Childlike demands. I deserve better than this. I deserve. Now sometimes it's not pouting, it's anger. I deserve. This is wrong. I can't believe after I do X, Y, and Z, God doesn't give me A, B, and C. But do you feel that deserving? We're not able to experience God's generosity and see everything he's done right, all the things we can be thankful for because we're so demanding and deserving. We're so caught up in those childish demands. We don't have that childlike faith. Here's how Paul gets into this idea. He says, now I say that the heir, the heir in a family, as long as he's a child, you know, they haven't been raised up to take full ownership of the company yet. It doesn't differ really from a slave. A household employee might be a better way to translate that because this wasn't slavery like we think of slavery. This is more like somebody who is in uh, indebtedness and they were paying off their debt. So if someone's in your family who's an employee who's paying off the debt, they don't really act much different than a child who's not yet come into their own. They're going to one day be president of the company, but for now, they're operating just like other employees. However, they're not just like other employees. They're an heir to everything the father has, and they will eventually be master of all, but not yet. Right now, during this time, they are under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Now he's using this idea of what happened in the Greek-Roman world. What do I mean? In the Greek-Roman world, you adopted your own children to become heirs. That's weird. Yeah. They had a tradition called liberalia. And on March 17th, at a certain age, your father would say, hey, your time has come. You're now moving from child moments to adult moments. You're now president of the company. You now have full access to all of my power, all of my riches, all of my influence. You get adopted at a certain moment in time into the family. And in that moment, you had to put away childish things. You would actually take your, your toys and you would lay them before the god Apollo to say, I'm moving on from childish ways to heirish ways. It was a transition. And Paul's going to use this idea to describe what happens in the Bible. You might say, what? The main message of Christmas is that God wants you to know that you're an heir to everything he owns. Did you catch that? God wants you to know that the main message of the Bible is that he came to earth to let you know that he wants to adopt you into his family to make you heir to everything he owns, not based on what you do, 
but based on what he did. God wants us to appeal to him based on his generosity, not our deservingness. In fact, that's the idea he gets at here. He says, as long as that child is under guardians or under the stewards, which is weird, until the time appointed by the father, you're an heir now, even so, we, he relates this to us, we were children, we're in bondage, what do you mean bondage? Under the elements of the world. Notice the word under, the word under. This phrase, the elements of the world, is a weird phrase. But it's Paul's way of saying we're under the law. Another way of saying it is we're living in, in a realm of demanding what we deserve, karma. I get what I deserve, and God, you owe me, life, you owe me. As long as you're living under the I deserve, I'm entitled, you're never gonna experience the joy of receiving something that you don't deserve. So until you step out from that guardian, the law, I deserve, you're not gonna experience the joy of, man, I don't deserve this, but I'm so thankful. I mean, don't you wanna live with thanksgiving toward God and toward life? Man, I don't deserve all these incredible blessings. I sure feel lucky. I sure feel blessed. However you express it, don't you want to live with that kind of uh, mental Rolodex of words running through you? Paul says, as long as you're under the guardian, the person walking you through your childhood, the, the childish ways of, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, you're not going to have a Rolodex of joy and peace and courage. You have a Rolodex of, I deserve, why not, pouting, I can't believe you didn't. And God doesn't want us to live under that guardian. So what guardian could we live under? Well, think of it like uh, Bruce Wayne, right? Bruce Wayne, his parents die, and he's heir to the fortune of the Waynes. But he needs Alfred, right? Alfred is his guardian, walking him through life. He's not making all his decisions quite yet. He's trying to protect him, trying to teach him, trying to prepare him. But there comes a moment that Bruce Wayne realizes, oh, wow. I'm Batman, I'm Batman. Not only am I Batman, I am heir to the Wayne fortune. And this analogy that Paul's using is, we gotta get rid of Alfred. Alfred is that childish way in which we think, I'm gonna demand I deserve from life, I demand what I deserve from the corporation, I demand what I deserve from God. We need to get rid of that karma deserving attitude we all have. And when we get rid of Alfred, we can step into what it means to be master of the house, heir to the kingdom, receiver. And God, thank you. I don't deserve this, but wow, I didn't earn my way into this family. I didn't deserve my way into this family. I just have a mom and dad who are very, very affluent, very, very generous, very, very gracious. And they have put me in the will because they love me. And that's what helps Paul get through these times in prison. It's like, imagine you're a prisoner and you know somebody comes to you and says, hey, you got six more months to go. But when you get out, not only are you gonna not be in prison, but I wanna write you into my will. Look, here it is. You're in my will, but more than my will, before I die, the minute you get out, you got a job. You're gonna be vice president of the company with me. You're gonna have a home to stay in. Uh, you're gonna be loved, you're gonna be in a family. Now you're still in prison, right? But for the next six months, your whole perspective changes. 
I'm gonna endure the difficulty, I'm gonna endure the challenges knowing that I'm gonna be free soon and not just free, I'm gonna be an heir, I'm gonna have a job, I'm gonna have a family. I have someone who's graciously given me what I don't deserve. Now you could say, I don't deserve to be in here, I shouldn't have to put up with this. And you could get locked up in anger and entitlement. Or you could just let your eyes go wide and say, wow, I can't believe you would do that for me. And Paul says living in this world that feels like a jail cell at times, when you know that God is making you heir to everything he has in the world to come, it allows you to navigate the challenges of this life. But you gotta first put away those childish ways and instead open your wide eyes to childlike trust. God, thank you for everything you've given to me. But there's a second way. There's a second aspect to receiving God's generosity. There's a second way in which we need to very intentionally decide to make a change from being under the Alfred way of karma thinking to the receiving of gracious generosity. And what is that? Well, Paul's going to go on in Galatians. He's going to say, trust God's timing rather than my deserving as a way to get the best deal. See, depending on God's generosity is like surrender. I'm not in control. I'd rather negotiate myself. I'd rather manage myself. I'd rather show God, hey, in case you forgot, I did this, 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 and this. In case you forgot, I did this, 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 and that. We think that we can negotiate a deserving better deal with God by telling him he owes us. But the Bible says that, that's, not the, that's not the way to get the best deal. If you get what you deserve, it's going to be a far worse deal than if you trust with childlike faith. The best deal comes from just saying, God, you be generous and I'm going to be happy with what you get. Right? But, but that's hard. It's hard for all of us. We think, I'm not sure I can trust that my dad, my boss, the master of the universe's generosity is a better deal than me negotiating, managing, or demanding. Isn't that true? I certainly felt that. Here's how Paul says it. He's in Galatians chapter four. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, into this karma, you only get what you deserve world, to redeem. That word redeem means to buy back, to buy people out of bondage. He bought people out of the bondage of I deserve this. And he did that that they might receive something. What? The adoption as sons. What's the message of Christmas? The message of Christmas is that God wants you and I to receive the full, uh, the full benefit of everything he has. He wants you to feel the full extent of his generosity. But to do that, he had to buy you, redeem you out of that old law mindset of the best deal I'm gonna get from God is demanding and telling him what I deserve. No, no, no. If you and I get what we deserve, we're in trouble. It's not just not the best deal. It's not even a good deal. It's a bad deal. But if instead you appeal to God, God, give me whatever you think is right. God, I'm just going to depend on your generosity. Whew, now that's good news. 
as the angels say, it's good news of great tidings of great joy. The generosity of God will always be the best deal. The deserving deal will always be the worst. Reminds me, when I was a kid, I uh, loved trick skiing. So I'm, I'm a water skier, uh, a wakeboarder, but I love trick skiing. And I remember we went to a garage sale and I got my first set of skis before I learned to ski. But I remember just, I, I hoped, longed and hoped that I would get some trick skis. So imagine I'm with my parents and we're at a garage sale. And I'm looking around and suddenly I see a pair of skis for six bucks, okay? Crummy old pair of skis, but I want them. So I say to my parents, give me those skis. And they say, no, we're not gonna buy you the skis. All right, so we've all been there, maybe not at a garage sale, but your kids have demanded something. And I throw a fit, let's say. Oh, I demand those skis, I've been a good, look at the A's I've gotten, look at the report cards I brought home, look how much I've obeyed you, look how good of a son I've been. I compare myself to my brother and sister's behavior, right? And my parents are like, no. And I'm getting angrier and I'm running my resume through. The joy's gone from them and I don't trust their timing. And all of a sudden there's conflict in our relationship. Now this is a little bit of a, 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 a fictional account, uh, but based on the true story. So imagine then that Christmas, a few months later, and this is the true part of the story, my parents had bought me brand new trick skis. And wow, I had no idea they were going to buy them. I had no idea that they had the money to afford them. And I remember opening at Christmas these gorgeous trick skis for doing 360s behind the boat. And I was overwhelmed with just gratitude. Now, if I had been at a garage sale two months earlier demanding a regular ski, it would be a far worse ski. Wasn't new, was old, was crummy, wasn't trick, it was just regular. And my parents were saying, no, I don't want to give you that because I got something so much better coming for Christmas. We've already bought it. It's already, you know, wrapped up in the closet. That's the idea here is that when we demand from God our deserving to get a best deal, we're going to end up with a crummy old garage sale trick ski, um, regular ski, when God has this lavish sense of joy and peace and inheritance to us wrapped up for us for Christmas. So, Turn in your deserving. Remember it says, God sent forth his son to redeem, to buy us out of that deserving attitude. But did you notice he he mentioned his timing? He says, turning in your deserving is realizing that you can trust God's timing. Did you notice the phrase? The fullness of time. What does that mean, the fullness of time? Well, God is saying he sent his son at just the right time in history. It's like, really? Uh, The Romans were in charge. The whole Jewish nation that he sent them to were under bondage. How is that the best time? Let me take you back in history. God had predicted through the prophet Daniel, the guy who was in alliance then, a whole series of very specific predictions. And God used hundreds of years of timing to set up the perfect gift of his son at Christmas. If you look at a map, you would see the Babylonian Empire. Now, the Babylonian Empire was a time that that God's people got sucked away from their land and they had to set up these Sunday schools called synagogues. And it started this spiritual education program that had never been seen before. People used to go just to temple. Now there was places in every neighborhood that you could go and learn God's promises, learn about God's generosity. 
Well, then the Babylonians get conquered by the Medes and Persians who get conquered by Alexander the Great in Greece. So Greece conquers the known world. And as you probably know, he required people to learn Koine Greek. Well, how easy is it gonna be to tell people about the generosity of God in the world if everyone speaks the same language? However, God then used the Romans who conquered the Greeks to set up the Roma Paxa, the Roma Peace, an incredible intricate um, super highway where people could travel from place to place all across the world and be relatively protected with roads. And it was in the fullness of time that God sent Jesus to bring the generosity of God to us when there was a common language, a communication system, an educational system, and now a mega super highway that God used to allow his message in Jerusalem to spread quickly in the world. What seemed like chaos to the outside observer was God working through time to perfectly set up his gift to send forth his son. This is the message of Christmas. It's that God would come to dwell among us But to receive it, you got to make that switch. I got to turn in my deserving and trust his generosity to get the best deal. But there's a third aspect to receiving God's generosity he wants us to know. Now, what is that? What's a third way that allows me to fully experience everything he has for me? It's not just a, a child in a manger. He's got something more experiential in mind. He wants you to allow your your father's Christmas cry to meet you during your Christmas groans. What? Yeah. Right after describing that timing, he goes on to say, he didn't just send forth a child, he sent forth a spirit. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, father. What does that mean? If you've never really figured out the whole Christian message, it can be very confusing. A lot of metaphors, a lot of analogies. But here it is simply. God came from heaven to earth as a human child who was fully God and fully man. And when he left to go to heaven, he left his spirit. So when you receive God's generosity, the spirit of God comes and lives in you. And that spirit that lives in you There's a sense in which, call it an inner voice, call it your conscience. It's more than that. It's God himself. His spirit lives in you and says, I am with you. When you're groaning, when you're going through difficulty, I am here. And you're able to cry out, not just God the cosmic equation, God the the big man in the sky, but you're able to cry out, Abba, which means daddy. And we need to cry out to our dad, when we're in pain, when we're in challenge. And when you know you're an heir and you know your heavenly father loves you, you can cry out, dad, dad. And his Christmas crying, I'm with you, meets you in your Christmas groans. Oh, again, really? In fact, the the Greek words he uses here are very interesting. The word for crying is the word to croak or the word to caw. It's like a little baby bird. Caw, caw, mom, I need something. Or or a frog. And if anything this last year has given us is a lot of croaking and a lot of cawing. Oh, oh, not again. Not another. Isn't this over yet? 
And if you say, well, God, I deserve this to be over yet, you're gonna just be entitled and angry at God and, and not filled with joy. But if instead you meet your Christmas groaning, your crossoing with what God offers to you, this, this Christmas cry, this God voice inside you that says, I'm with you. You are not alone. I've not abandoned you. I'm gonna go through this with you. You're able to, and he uses the word heart here, a Greek word, cardia. You might recognize this, a cardiologist. But it means the center of all. Imagine at the center of all, everything you are, isn't your circumstances going up and down. The center of everything you need isn't size of my paycheck, size of my territory. No, no, no. The size of it all, the center of it all is the one who made me in the universe is my dad. Paul says in this little Christmas letter, when you get that, you can sit in prison like I am and say, hey, I don't like these circumstances. It's kind of drafty in here, uh, getting put in stocks. The circumstances are horrible. But man, the one thing that's the center of it all is my dad loves me and my dad is with me in these circumstances. That's the heart of this Christmas card. I think that's what we all want for Christmas. We all want to know that God can be the center of it all when we're going through challenges. In fact, I got an opportunity last week to sit down and interview my friend Art and Kathy and just an amazing story how God has met them in the midst of their challenges. I'd like you to hear their story together. Well, it's one thing to talk about calling out to God during times of Christmas groaning. It's another thing to really sense that he's with you in the midst of the challenges. So with me today is my friend uh, Art and Kathy. And tell me, you guys have had a tough year. And what are some of the ways that there's been some groanings that have gone on in your life? And how has that had both of you crying out to God? Art, how about you? Well, in the past year, we've had a number of physical challenges. And uh, when I found out that I had... Uh, my foot freezing because I lacked blood flow in my legs and knew that they were rushing me to the hospital. And when they threw me up on the angiogram table and said, my only hope to save my legs and my foot is for them to um, clean out my artery, it hit me that God was saying, Art, you depend on your legs and feet for all the things you do, and you're so proud of them. I'm going to teach you some humility. And it terrified me because I knew I had no control over that angiogram. And then when I came out, it was a struggle for me to start walking again. And not long after that, through that angiogram and the testing they did, they found out that I had prostate cancer. Mm. So I'm recovering through my legs and now I'm going to have surgery for my prostate cancer. And I asked the oncologist and my wife that morning of the surgery to just pray that God still had something left for me to do mm. and that I could make it through the surgery. I made it through the surgery and then they came back and did a PSA test and said, hey, you still have cancer. You're going to have to have hormone therapy and radiation therapy. So I had to have eight weeks of that. And I just felt in my heart that God was going to use me, but that I had to learn to 
deal with my pride, my lack of humility, and my lust for things because I couldn't seem to get enough stuff. And since that time, I am on my knees every morning when I wake up first thing, praying for the church, praying for others. And then at night, our Bible study has been consistent every day, regardless of what, no matter where we're at, and prayer. And it has just helped me. And God has sent things in our lives for us to help others. And it's just been amazing. Yeah, so I'm thankful for it. And obviously for all of us, you know, we, we, we love the use of our legs, but for you particularly, it's been a source of pride because even at your age, you're still a phenomenal snowboarder, surfer. So for your legs, it's not just like a lot of us like our legs. It is the source of your identity, really. This was your identity being challenged during this. Yes. Yeah. Now, Kathy, as a nurse, you know what it's like to deliver bad news, to have people hear bad news. And obviously the cancer report is one of the worst. In the middle of these challenges Art's going through, how about you? What was your groaning for God during this time, and how did that, how did God speak to you in the midst of it? Well, you know, um, I've been aware of the prevalence of breast cancer my whole life. I've had a niece at 32, I've had my mother, I've had my best friend, and so I took control of that potential diagnosis, and I had all my screenings, did everything I was supposed to do. And the way mine was diagnosed was not through the screenings. It was because I had a cough. And they were looking at my chest to see why I was coughing when this unexpected diagnosis came. And I can remember being called to the office. Art wasn't allowed to come in. I was by myself. And I just knew what they were going to say. And um, it reminded me that regardless of how much I feel in control of my future, I really have to realize now that is in control. And, you know, he allowed my diagnosis to come about when it did. He allowed me to um, have the physicians to help with my treatment. Um, because this is a very uh, alone time for people with COVID, I was just alone and I was sitting in the back room where they do all the chemo. I was sitting by myself and I hadn't been there but a few minutes when all of a sudden the, in a song called In the Garden came on. Mm. And that was a song that my mother loved. And all of a sudden I felt the presence of God in my mother in that room, wow. reminding me that even though physically I didn't have anyone with me, I had God and my mother there waiting for me and just reassuring me that it was going to be okay. Yeah. The same thing happened to me in this room ten minutes. Like I had all day listening to all their music. And the next day I was there, Alan Jackson and I walk over heaven with me, which we played at my father and my mother's funeral. They loved that song. And again, wow. I was reminded as God went in there, Kathy you know, so all my control didn't reassure me of anything. You know, God's intervention is what really comforted me. So in the midst of these Christmas kind of groanings for both of you, for, for Art, it was you, it was dealing with humility, uh, it was, or, or finally coming face-to-face with pride, it was the accumulation of lust and things, and, and how God began to free you from some of those things, and Kathy, for you it was control. It was, you started realizing that as much as we try and do our part, we can't control circumstances in life, 
And I love that story because it's not like that song is a top 20 song, right? I mean, that's an old hymn that your mom listened to. And the idea that God would wink at you or lean into you or like Christmas, Emmanuel, his spirit would speak to you and say, I am with you despite, you know, all the things you guys have experienced individually yet together in the last, you know, 12 months together. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's actually very difficult for me to let go and let God because in my whole life, I've always felt you got to take care of yourself first, you know. And as long as you take care of yourself, you don't have to rely on other people to take care of you. And I always had a little pride in that. Uh, If I could take care of myself, I'd be all right. And yet I am all right, but I'm really more all right because God is walking beside me and he's sending me little God winks that, you know, I couldn't even imagine if I hadn't opened up my heart and was receptive to, to, to the importance and to the comfort of letting it go to God. Yeah. And Art, I know for you, you know, you guys, obviously we're doing a Zoom call today because we want to keep you guys safe with your condition. Um, but how has this not just been a time of isolation, but God, how is God using you in the midst of this, not just to feel he's with you, but to actually speak to other people who are going through challenges? How's God using you during this time, Art? Well, you know, it's really funny because uh, we pray, God, how can you use us? We're sequestered here at home. We're not able to go out. We can't even see our family. We had our our Thanksgiving alone. But he has given little nuggets for us to enjoy. And I had a co-worker that developed prostate cancer, and he called me in desperation. And so daily almost, I've been walking him through how to react when he has a surgery. He had the surgery two days ago. I immediately called him that night, and I wanted to let him know I am there for him. Mm. And I think Kathy has had so many opportunities with, with her friends that had need. She might want to talk about uh, in uh, Michigan and her, her granddaughter. Well, you know, um, there's three thoughts that go through my mind when I look at the end of my life. You know, and I always prayed to God, you know, that just let me live long enough to raise my children. Mm. Oh, I've done that. My children are raised. Now I've kind of shifted it to, well, let me live long enough to be a grandma to my grandchildren because I really never had a grandmother. And huh. I want to do the things for them that my mother did for my children. Wow. But I also know that God's in control and no one will love my children the way I love them. And that's the hardest thing for me to, to come to grips with. But I also take comfort in knowing that he's going to keep me strong because if I'm strong and I'm spiritually connected and, and, and surrendering to God, that will help my children through this, un, uh, this unforeseen future that we're all going to have. So I thought, hey, you know, some people lose their lives suddenly and they don't, they don't have the opportunity to connect with the people and the feelings that I've been able to in the last three months. So I'm just so grateful that I've had a chance to um, examine what my purpose on this earth is and what I'm going to be leaving behind. Well, you guys have so been I'm incredible. Grateful for that. 
You guys have been an incredible uh, sense of courage and strength and inspiration to many people. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way in the midst of it, but let me pray for you and pray for any of us listening, that whatever your kind of Christmas groanings are, whatever you've been going through, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I wouldn't have wished this diagnosis or wished these circumstances on anyone, that God, like he's done with, with my friends uh, Kathy and Art, could meet you, cry out to you, Emmanuel, I am with you in the midst of it. So let me pray for you guys um, and just ask that God be with you. Father, we thank you for the way you're working in the midst of difficulty. And Father, we ask that your spirit would just cry out within them um, that you are there, that you would bring your comfort and your strength and your love and your courage in the midst of these challenges, Father, that, that we would be reminded that you are God and we are not. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again, guys, for sharing your story together. I just love hearing that story about what it was like for them experientially to feel God's presence. I know God's with me even while I'm going through challenges. So how about for you and I? What if we began to live like a Christmas heir, knowing that our time has come and our time is now? God is with me. If you don't know that, it's as simple as saying, God, I receive your generosity. Not based on what I've done. I want to give you my resume. It's not good enough. And I'll take your resume that makes me good enough. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to live as a Christmas heir. In fact, it's interesting. I always love this Christmas season because it's a reminder of when we adopted my son many years ago. And we'd had him for six months when he was first born, but our adoption was in December. And we showed up. The judge was one of our next door neighbors. And so here he is up there with the big robe and the big, you know, mallet knocking it down. I mean, this was the judge, the, ooh, the spooky, spooky judge. But we knew him as a neighbor. In fact, when our kids used to trick-or-treat around the neighborhood, he always dressed up like a clown and he passed out candy. And all of a sudden, here we are standing before the judge, who's also the neighbor, the clown, who's who we know. And now the, 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 the judge isn't somebody spooky, somebody to be scared of. He's a neighbor, he's a friend. And he put that gavel down and my son Quinn went from being someone else's son to being a hoven that day. He became an heir with full rights to all of our love, all of our sacrifice, everything we owned. Not based on what he did, but based on our love for him. And God, the transcendent judge of the world, came near, imminent. He's the neighbor. He's the clown. He's the one that wants to interact with us so that we could be adopted and invited into his family. And Paul goes on in Galatians. He says, here's how a Christmas heir lives. A Christmas heir knowing that they're a child of God, knowing they're a son of God, uses love to serve one another. You don't use your liberty to exploit others, but you say, how can I use my position to serve other people? It's one of the reasons this season, I hope you're thinking about the needs around you because if God prioritized being generous to us, then how do we live like a Christmas heir and be generous to others? How can I be more compassionate to people who don't deserve it, but they need it? More patient to people who don't deserve it, they drive me crazy. But I want to be generous to them with patience because God was generous to me. Generous with love, generous with patience, generous with our forgiveness, generous with our compassion, and certainly generous with our money. In fact, I hope this season you have felt like God has been there for you through Horizon and through the services we've done and all the crazy stuff we've tried to do in the last year to meet you and your needs. I hope living like a Christmas heir means serving 
God's work here at Horizon by writing a check maybe at the end of the year. Maybe giving above and beyond what you've given before because you want to say thank you, God, for how faithful you've been. But I also hope you're thinking beyond just the four walls of Horizon and saying, how do we help those who are in need? Living like a Christmas heir is loving people in dire circumstances. So every year during this time, we put out a giving tree. And that giving tree has people on it who have needs. Nearby, Interparish Ministries, City Gospel, the work we do in Belize, the work we do with uh, Back to Back. And this year we have prisoners, people who are in prison in our community who need someone to write a note to say, you're loved, you're not forgotten. Jesus says, whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. When we give, when we serve, when we're generous, when we're kind to the least of these, it's like doing it to God ourselves. Yeah, I'm not sure if Mary knew when she had little baby Jesus in that manger <clears throat> that she had the secret to adopting the universe back to its creator. She goes to dedicate her child and Simeon, he says, wow, um, this child is the consolation of Israel, but it's also going to pierce your soul. And Mary says that she pondered these things in her heart. What does it mean my soul's going to be pierced? And she must have been shocked to see him being betrayed, stabbed in the back, for Mary to watch her son, who just seemed so innocent, to be crucified by those Roman guards. Mary may not have fully realized what was happening, but she did in the middle of her chaos what God's calling us to do. Trust God's timing. I don't deserve to be the mother of God. I don't deserve good circumstances, but I'm trusting you to pour or lavish your generosity on me. Can I pray for you that God would do that before we do this closing song? Let's pray together. Father, I receive your generosity. Adopt me into your family. Teach me how to live like an heir. I turn in my deserving and I with no entitlement am thankful for whatever you give me based on your generosity. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.